story of Abram, and you remember that we got to chapter 16 of Genesis, page 18, on a good Cambridge version. Uh, okay. And um, remember the story so far. Abram had been called out of his country and he had the earthly vision of the earthly Israel and the second time he had the heavenly vision of the heavenly Israel. God said, look at the stars. First time he said, look at the land. Next time, look at the stars. And you remember, that was where we left them. God had given it to them at that time. And you remember the sacrifice and the sign that God gave from then on for the children of Israel was the smoking lamp and the burning furnace. And um, I want to go on now uh, to chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And um, Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to a husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai had dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Um, you remember when we were going through the story, that uh, Abram went to a certain place, Egypt. Do you remember he'd set his face to go southward? How many remember that? No? Yeah, we did that. And um, they picked up their Hagar. Now, it doesn't give the age of Hagar. And um, Hagar or Hagar. Um, but she was obviously... Um, she was an Egyptian maid. And um, what, she, what Abram did was he consented to Sarah's idea. Sarah had, had been told, or Sarah had been told, that a seed was going to come from Abram. And what she did, crackling everywhere today. We're going to remain crackling. Is this one on? Oh, wow. There you are. Yeah, that's better. Um, and when Hagar 
came in. Now, it doesn't say that Abram particularly fancied her or set his face towards her, but Sarah decided um, to give uh, her maid to Abram. Now, I'm rather surprised that she did. I don't know many wives these days, if you had a maid in the house, would be too happy with a husband um, looking after her, so to speak. Uh, not many uh, wives would be of that ilk. But Sarah seemed to have had this idea, it was God's promise that uh, she should uh, bear children. And it hadn't come to pass. And they'd been in the promised land that God had told them about ten years. Now, ten years is a long time, isn't it? And don't forget she had been barren when she was in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. Do you remember we read it, how she was barren there? She'd had no children. That was back in chapter 12. And yet, here she is, and um, she finds that she's still barren. So, she tries to devise a way of bringing about God's will. It doesn't seem logical when you're ten years down the line, ten years older, that you could possibly have children. So she thinks, well, you know, my time's past it, so how about my maid? Maybe uh, she could conceive and produce children for me. Now, obviously, that type of thing will cause problems. And naturally, Hagar, when she'd conceived, despised Sarah. Now, that was because in eastern countries, it was um, for a woman to be barren was uh, uh, well it was um, hmm? no that's not the word I was looking for it's gone from my mind um, I can't think of it it was a reproach, that's it. It was a reproach, thank you. It was a reproach for a woman not to be able to conceive. And um, everyone despised uh, infertile women. And I think that uh, in this day and age when couples get married, I think the most awful thing is to see a marriage with no children, personally. Because... Uh, that is a total reproach uh, to the ways of God. Um, I loathe the devilish doctrines that have come forth which encourage women in this day and age to think of having careers. Um, most devilish are the doctrines and teachings of such a pernicious society that will propagate such a, uh, a demonic thing. Um, I suppose the only good thing about it is hopefully that um, the generation that propagates such stories should be the last generation of their kind because they won't have any children and they'll die out. So well, we can thank God for that. Um, they'll be wiped out. But it is totally devilish because God told when man and woman come together, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, as I've pointed out to you, there are restraints in multiplication um, from the point of view you've got to be he that doesn't provide for his wife and um, family is worse than an infidel so there are restraints 
but it is a good thing when they come together to be fruitful and it always was and therefore the children of Israel knowing the ways of God were very much uh, favorable to the fact that women should have children and it's good for a woman to marry and to have children that's a good thing and it does say in the scriptures that when a, a husband finds a wife he findeth a good thing what it doesn't tell you is that there are little things that follow that you wonder whether it's such a good idea after all especially when they're about three months old and you haven't slept for three months um, but the joys of parenthood are tremendous and that is God's order a person develops into a the type of character and personality he should be in a true society of God not in a false society but in the true he develops that way because he learns to appreciate what birth and life is all about he learns how to love he learns how to be affectionate within that relationship and it is something that is God ordained and it should never be tampered with by the world or man but one of the curses of our society and of the modernist humanist doctrine is that everyone is equal everyone has equal opportunities it's a total lie for instance it is impossible for me to conceive thank God I cannot I'm not equipped to and I'm very glad to say that when we had children, three of them, I couldn't feed them either. I wasn't equipped. God didn't create me that way. Now, I can't be equal with a woman. I can't be a mother. Thank God. I had three babies, and as I say, very often it never hurt me at all. I sat there, and I was with my wife, and I enjoyed the experience of her giving birth, <laughs> naturally um, but I don't think it would have been my idea of fun but my wife enjoyed it tremendous glorious now we can't exchange roles because what we can do is we can follow the devil's way but we can't exchange roles because God has put within you a nature now if you're a woman you've got a female nature and if you're a man you've got a man's nature and there is no such thing scientifically as a genetic deficiency that causes a swap over from one to the other in behavior it's sin that causes it and you will find that medicine has discovered that of course if you pump in large lots of hormones you can change the physical appearance but you can't change the spirit that God's put in there and that spirit for a man is a man and a woman's a woman and thank God for it amen and it's upbringing that perverts it's education that perverts and it's the contact with the false spirits that pervert but it is not and I emphasize it is not ever something that is beyond the control of an individual I've seen God totally deliver homosexuals lesbians and make them normal happy and married and fruitful and live normal lives with no stain 
Now that's God doing it. Amen. He restores a person to normality. And Sarah there, she was, and she hadn't born children. And she knew that she was a woman, and as a woman she should bear children. That was what she was created for. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that she's despised. Because of that, of course she's not. She's more precious because of it. Because she has the opportunity to bring children into the world. She has the opportunity to love and cherish the next generation. Because our next generation is our children. And a woman has a greater role to play in shaping and moulding the next generation than any other person. Because her children are the next generation. The husband goes out and earns the living. The wife looks after the children. And it's important that she realises that is the next generation. When I'm gone and when you're gone, our children are left. And the people that nourish them most of all are the wives. The people that look after them and spend most time with them are the wives. And they are God's next generation. And we've got to be careful what we feed into God's generation to come. Haven't we? Amen? I've got to be aware that that next generation that's coming must have true life. Must be taught rightly in the ways of God. Must be brought up rightly. It's important. Because they're going to be the future of this country. They're going to be the future of the church. They're going to be the future of the world. And our next generation are important. goes without saying that, um, I mean, you've only to look at the local schools that are hotbeds of socialism and communism and you realize what they're doing with our next generations. You don't need to invade England any longer. Just send them to a public school. I mean, a, you know, state school. That's doing more destruction to our next generation than any other thing. Because the teachers have no respect for the law. They have no respect for the standards of God. In fact, in most schools these days, even, even though it's a law under the Education Act of 1944 that you've got to teach religious education, you don't get believers who are Bible-believing people teaching it. What they want to teach is comparative religions or, um, I can't remember the funny name they've called it, social something. Pardon? Moral education. Moral filth, more like, because the teachers haven't got morals themselves, a lot of them. And of course, if you haven't got morals yourself, how can you impart it to the kids? And in our local school up the road, they now show ban the bomb films in the classroom and encourage the young children to go on ban the bomb marches. I don't think that's the education I want for my children. Do you? I don't want them to learn that it's right to rebel when you're 13 and 14 against authority. I don't want them to learn that. Do you? I don't want them to learn that um, 
you know, old society's standards are fuddy-duddy and out of date. I don't want them to go to a teacher who practices up there and teaches them that women have the right to, to go out and have careers and the man should stay home and look after the children. What an awful blasphemy against, against God's standards. I don't like it, I hate it. And yet, you see, many people have no compunction about trusting their children into godless hands. But if you do, you've got to answer to God for what happens to your children. It's a little wonder that they come up with red, white and blue hair. Or hair sticking up in tufts and jeans so tight it's a wonder they can still breathe and filthy clothes, and they look what they are, degenerate. And yet, we are entrusted by God's grace with the next generation. I think it's very important what we're going to do with God's next generation, don't you? Hmm? Who's going to follow us? Who's going to be members of the church? It's not going to be us, we're going to be grey and dead. We're getting old. Every day. Jackie keeps saying she's so old, she's ready to go. Uh, she hasn't got to 120 yet. But there you are. The thing is, she'll make it. What we have to realize is that they're the next generation. Now, I've got to be careful, and you've got to be careful, that we have a commitment to God to make sure that not only do we bring people into life, but we make jolly sure that our children have opportunities of living in life. Why should they have the stream of the enemy, the devil's humanism, poured into their minds and their hearts? Why? There's even textbooks now. They complain that um, some people have gone round schools complaining about textbooks because they show a woman cooking in the kitchen and the man, you know, going out playing football and rugby and going to work. And they say, well, that's discrimination. Of course it is. I believe in it, don't you? A woman is discriminated with. Of course she is. She's always had more opportunity than the man. She's always had the opportunity to stay at home and do all the wonderful things, like sit down and read the newspaper while a man slogs himself to death earning a living. Um... She's always had the opportunity to, to be expecting the man to go out and earn the living. And it's right. And she's got the opportunity to bring up the children. She's got the opportunity to be a woman and to make the home because the home is what a woman makes it. And she must make it a Christian, godly home. But it's her gift from God. And she is bearing the next generation and looking after them. Now that's a greater privilege than the man ever has. The man, true, can affect his own generation. He can preach the gospel to his own generation, but he won't have as much influence on next generation. The woman has that. And do you know the woman can stop the next generation by not having children?
Have you ever looked at it like that? So the woman has the greater part to play in society. Because generations cease and go. They don't even know what their privilege is. They're too stupid. They've been brainwashed. Thank God there are people now who are prepared to stand up. I wouldn't care less. Of course if a woman and a man came for a job, I'd discriminate. I would. I'd choose the man. Naturally. And I'd go to court and say, send me to prison if you like, but I'd choose the man. I don't care. I don't believe that anyone has the right to turn round to God and say we don't accept your standard. Do you? Of course I would. Because a man's the breadwinner. Man has to look after the family. A woman should go home and do what she's quit to do. And that's the way it is. Now, if a woman doesn't have a husband, well, then she's got to pray and ask God to send her one. It's quite simple. God's got plenty of men available. And he'll choose one out that's right. That's the way you go. See? And if you say, well, there's a shortage. Well, that's because your prayers aren't diligent enough. I remember when we first started the church, there were four or five young men and no young ladies. And I said to them, you better get praying. And they said, well, it's just no one around. They got praying and it wasn't long before there was such a flux of ladies, they had a choice of three or four. They could choose. And now the ladies said, oh, no, no men. Of course there aren't. But you see, the men shouldn't have prayed so earnestly. They got a glut. And they got a choice. And people say, well, you know, I don't know that it's right. Of course it's right. God wants people to be married. It's healthy. And the Bible always speaks of it as a healthy thing. You just pray and say, all right, Lord, send me the person of your choice. And you begin to believe God. Now, you might not get it the first day. You might have to pray a bit. But I believe that God's faithful. You want to be very careful you don't end up with a lout down the road. Some women end up with the wrong kind of fellow because they'll grab anything. But, I, I mean, obviously that's crazy. But if you seek God's face and you're a child of God, God's faithful. You believe that, don't you? Hmm? I mean, you ask the young men, they've found God faithful. Some of the young men just can't make up their mind, but if you were smart, you'd make it up for them. But there you are. I'll say no more on that. I don't want to embarrass them. But you've got you've to go along and see. And Sarah knew the principle. And here's the beginning of the, the race. And um, Sarah hadn't conceived. And she had this maid, Hagar. 
And just going back, before I go back to Sarah, I just want to say, my heart is very much, and, and you'll find out soon enough, that we just start our own school, as you know. And my heart further is that we educate our own children. I'm fed up with seeing what that place and the world does to children. When they come into the home, you can see how they go down and down. Humanism is poured in their ears. Our kids don't stand a chance. I like to see children that are clean and wholesome and use decent language and are brought up well and learn God's standards, don't you? I don't want to see children brought up as thieves and robbers and vagabonds and sexual perverts because they've been given to a lot of thieves and robbers and vagabonds and sexual perverts called teachers. And I always believe in the saying that if you can't do anything else, you become a teacher. Most people that can do something else don't go into teaching. Generally speaking, there are exceptions, thank God. But generally speaking, I find the people, when I went to teachers' training college, and I looked round at the kind of people they were drawing into the teaching profession, and this was some 10 years or 12 years ago, I was amazed. They'd have been expelled from my school where I went. I went to a public school. They'd have been expelled for looking the way they looked. They would have been ostracized for smelling the way they smelt. And they would have been flogged for behaving the way they behaved. And they were the people that were being bred up to be the next generation of teachers. So it's little wonder that you've got violence in the classroom. They complain about it. Terrible violence in the classroom. Well, they were thugs they employed as teachers. A lot of them. Some of the headmasters aren't capable... Do you know, they might have a degree, but they haven't got much between their ears. They haven't got brains anyway. I don't know what they put between their ears, uh, which shows the low standard of degrees in this day and age. You can get one for anything almost. And um, I believe we've got a responsibility, don't you, to our children? Hmm? Don't you feel responsible for your kids? Hmm? And don't you feel that you can't afford to allow the world to deal with them and destroy them? That's what I feel. And so we're going to take action. That's it. I'm determined on that. And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to encourage people to realize okay if you feel that the marriage state is, is the right state and God says it is then you better pray for a husband or a wife that's simple it's not difficult God's got many men in the world and quite a few women in the world so just pray and anyway when you get desperate you'll learn to cry out and when you get really desperate, God will give you the desire of your heart. But if you just take the desire of your heart without seeking God, you'll end up with leanness in your soul. 
Anyway, we're going on back to Sarah, but it was a digression because it occurred to me very much um, just recently uh, how people have misunderstood uh, the, the ways of God. And I was listening to, to someone twaddling on and you read in the papers and, and it just makes you wonder what society is coming to. It really does. Because I don't believe that, um, that society should be like it is. They've got, uh, I was reading this morning in the paper of a race relations board and um, that is meant to make everyone equal, isn't it? Hmm? Or everyone with the same opportunity. And yet there was the chairman of it boasting that they'd had a fashion show and they'd only lo allowed black designers to come along and show their fashions in it. That's discrimination against white people. But you see, they can't see it that way around. They haven't got the brains. Everyone's equal. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what um, uh, nationality you are. My wife's Scottish a bit and Irish and Welsh and stupid some of the other time. But it's all a mixture in. And my... Oh, no Welsh, it's Irish, is it? Which explains it. And I've got my... My grandmother was French. And... Uh, my grandfather was Scottish and on the other side one was Irish and one was um, Saxon and it's little wonder what I've come out like with that mixture inside. Um, you can't really uh, get away from it. Now, it doesn't matter that I'm this, that and the other. If I've been born of God and born from above, I've got to change nature. And that's it. And that's what counts. I don't have a nationality in the sense of I'm loyal to one side. I'm loyal to God. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ first and foremost. And I won't bow the knee to any other allegiance. And if it doesn't back up what Jesus Christ says, well then I'll go to prison or I'll suffer. But I will not violate what I believe. And that's the way it is. Is that the way you look at things? What God says is the standard. Bang. And no rights of argument. Now, if you don't like it, you'll have to lump it. But that's the way it is. I make no apologies. And if you have any arguments, address them up to God. I'm sure he'll give you a fair hearing. Just turn off his listening device. It just won't bother to listen to your driveling. God's standard is God's standard. Anyway, we're getting back to Sarah. And she said, look, take Hagar. Now, one of the things we do when we get to a spiritual birth and God begins to move on us by his spirit, we decide what we should be and what we should produce. And Sarah knew that God's promise was she should have children. And it didn't happen. Now, what would have been the right thing to do would have been to cry out to God and say, Hey, Lord, 
You said I'd have children and they haven't come yet. What's wrong? Now that would have been the right thing to do, but her idea was, oh well, I've got this Egyptian maid, maybe she could have a few for me. In fact, um, you know, she was a slave, was Hagar, and it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of an awful thing to use a woman just to produce children for you. But that's what um, Sarah decided to do. She'd use Hagar. Now she was very upset when Hagar did produce that she was despised. But I would imagine that Hagar looked at Sarah and thought, well, you know, I can produce kids with Abram. She can't. There must be something wrong with her. And of course she'd despise her inability. That was a normal thing. Now, the strange thing is that there is a flesh way of doing things. When God speaks a word to you, you can produce a so-called spiritual life in the flesh. I, I think we had a good example on Thursday, really, um, uh, of what the flesh can produce. It can produce someone who can stand there and go... And say all sorts of things but in reality what is it? It's religion. I meet people who, who can talk as though they've got a plum in their mouth and, um, uh, and they're good middle class and uh, they've either been to Oxford or Cambridge and uh, Risley Hall or some other place and um, we drove by it didn't we? Ridley Hall, Ridley, Ridley. Well, it should have an S in it. It's um, Ridley Hall, rather, at Cambridge, and they go there to they go there to produce clergymen. And what they produce is a breed of halfwits. Now, generally, the people that apply to go there are people who couldn't do anything else in life, so they go into the church, um, and that's generally the way it is. Usually. They aren't very good at sport because if they were, they'd try for a, an Oxford or a Cambridge Blue, they wouldn't go to theological training. And they go along there and then they get a church and they run tea parties for the old women and they run bazaars and they run this and they run that. And they are very effective. I, I mean, they hold PCC meetings and um, they say matins and even song and super song and euro song and they go all along and then they will uh, they will educate your mind some of them preach fantastic sermons educating your mind and they believe that people become Christians with education like the man who came on Thursday. Now, when I said to him, I said, listen, what people need is not to learn what Christianity is about and to be educated. What they need is an encounter with the Spirit of God. And he said, yeah, but when they get that, what do they think? I said, they think that God's made them. And he said, yeah, but what does it do? I said, it makes them aware of their sin and their need for Christ. Uh, he said, well, uh, yeah, but you have to... Uh, and then he goes off and he's very and I said look can't you come down to the fact that we need the spirit of God alone that's the only way 
But you can have religion and you can go the flesh way. Now what happens when you go the flesh way is the flesh, that's the religious people, despise the people of the Spirit. The Hagar produced children and the Hagars of this world, the false religions, despise the true. It's bound to happen. Because there is a realm that they can't reach into. You see, Hagar was never Abram's wife. What was she? A slave. And what does a slave do? It serves. And one of the things about religion, you notice, is they're slaves. They're slaves to their doctrines. They're slaves to their uh, ceremonies and rituals. You try and knock them off their ceremonies and rituals and they, you, they think you're taking God away. They're slaves. There's no love relationship. It's a service. You know, got to go to church and got to go to Holy Communion, they call it. Nothing holy about it. Got to go to uh, matins or even song or got to go to Eucharist or got to go to the, hear the rabbi going yeah, 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 and bowing up and down like a canary, as John says. And all those things, but they're slaves to it. And when you look at their lives afterwards, what's happened in them? Nothing. And that is always the seed of Hagar. If you don't move into God because you love him, watch out, you need a nature change. Now the flesh can easily conform outwardly, but it's a terrible bondage to be a Christian if God hasn't met you inwardly. It's terrible. How can you live and enjoy a meeting for three or four hours if you, God hasn't met you by his spirit? You can't. That's why I've met people who come here and they say, oh dear, you know, people will misunderstand when they come in. You know, they, they, they wouldn't be able, new people wouldn't be able to take it. You know, you must be loving. Be miserable like they are. And, and they give you all sorts of reasons. Now, it's stupid. What I realize when people say that is what they meant was, I don't like it. That's what he was saying. To name but one. And you realize that what they've got is they've got slavery. They're the seed of Hagar. The false seed. And the false seed always wants you to be in bondage. I must be in bondage to other people's opinions. You mustn't offend other people and upset them. That's not loving. Well, I want to tell you one thing. And that is, as far as God is concerned, he upset a lot of people. And he still does. Jesus Christ went around. All the religious people were upset by Jesus. They got mad. The people that listened to him were the common people, the irreligious people. The religious people got very upset. In fact, they were the ones that crucified him. And I don't care a hoot what people think. That's their problem, not mine. When I'm told about it, I feel sorry for them. And sometimes I find it upsetting that they can tell such slanderous lies. But, in the end, they're not going to govern my life.
Christ is and God's standard is and if they don't like it they can lump it is that your attitude? Hmm? if they don't like the way we are that's their problem we didn't invite them they can beat it if they don't like what we believe and preach and teach we don't compel them let them go and be religious somewhere else I say to people the door opens two ways in and out if you don't like it go away and find somewhere you do like God bless you no hard feelings you'll be better off when I said that once someone came to me and said hey you better be careful saying that people might leave the church I thought that was my intention you know get rid of the ones that don't want to go God's way who wants them anyway the religious people we don't want them do we people are all religious and living for 20 years ago or 50 years ago I remember the day God moved 50 I heard him I mean people say that and you look I went down to Wales once they got a brace that had come off someone's leg when God had healed them and they got it stuck on the wall it was the trophy of the one day of grace when God met us 30 years ago or I can't remember how many years ago and they'd still got this stuck on the wall and you say well what's he doing today well we remember the day and yeah but what about today well we remember and you say well what about today and they said and I went to one in Liverpool a church in Liverpool when I was there I used to go get invited to preach there and they were religious these people down to their toenails and they would all get there and it was a kind of free evangelical Pentecostal mess and they would have a different speaker to every meeting and they would sit there and they, amen, 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 you know, wonderful, oh yeah. And then you'd get up and you'd say, well, afterwards they'd say, oh, that was a lovely word, we did enjoy it. We like hearing about hellfire and all the people outside who are going to go to it. And, <laughs> you know, and, oh, we love hearing about, you know, the wonderful things of God and marvellous. And then you'd walk over and they'd show you these pictures. Do you remember, you know, we'd like to show you where our old pastor when he was here 36 years ago and God moved in this church and we had a kind of move of God and the, the church was packed to the doors and uh, there's only 25 of us left but we're, we're, we're not getting any younger either. And, um, but we remember the days and we do enjoy you coming. Well, I didn't go much, I tell you. I mean, they were living in the past. Today is the day of salvation. I want to know what God's doing in my life today. What's the use of last week? Hmm? Last year. It's no good me going back four years and saying, I remember the days when we were in the Action Activity Centre and we were sat there and God came and oh, it was wonderful. And uh, you know, if only you could have been there and seen it. Oh, yeah. It was uh, tremendous. I mean, that's not going to change anyone's life, is it? I remember when I went to school, you know, they taught me that the smallest particle of any substance was an atom. I was halfway through my school and then they split it. <laughs> and they changed the whole wretched doctrine. 
So when I took my exams, I wrote it was an atom. I didn't know they'd got molecules and everything else that they'd done with it and they'd split the wretched thing and done all sorts with it. I learnt it, you see, at one stage and they'd changed it. That's man for you. But I've got to be up to date. If you saw someone walking down dressed like Napoleon in the high street, you'd think he was peculiar, wouldn't you? If you saw someone walking down like Cleopatra, you'd probably look for Mark Antony, but uh, you'd think there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> Mark Antony, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I told you the world had gone bad. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Yeah. You think there's something wrong with it. <laughs> you were quick, Charlie, at noting that. <laughs> you think there was something wrong with that person. <laughs> and you'd say, well, that's crazy. But you know, people live in the past with their religion. They're living what, what had gone years before. Now, not that there aren't real things we could learn from God about men's past, you know, and the wonderful moves of God in the past, but my experience of Jesus Christ has got to be vital today. I've got to know Christ today. I've got to have that inward reality today. I've got to be living it today. It's no good me saying that last week something happened. I've got to know today that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that I can live a holy and pure life, that he's set me free from the bands that bound me, that he's broken the shackles that were around me, and I can live for him. And every day I've got to know that my life is committed to Christ. It's no good me saying that five years ago I did it. I've got to be 100% today committed and flowing. It's no good looking back. Today is important. What happened yesterday is gone. What's going to happen tomorrow might or might not happen. But what I am now is what I am. It's no good me looking forward and saying, I hope. I've got to know now. Haven't I? Now is what counts. I can't influence tomorrow and I can't change yesterday, but I can do something about what I am now and the way I live now and the way I think now. Can't I? Because I am here now and God is the God of the now. And what we're persecuted with is a false seed. Not the seed that cries out to God and says, I must be regenerate from you. I want your promise fulfilled that the whole of the gospel is a gospel of love. I need to realize that God's love has judgment in it. And judgment and discipline and, and the dealings of God are part of God's love. But I want to be involved with it now, don't you? I want it to be an instantaneous thing. Don't you? I want it to be a reality now, don't you? Hmm? I want it to be living every moment of every day. doesn't matter what happened last week. doesn't matter what I felt last week. What is going on now? 
What is happening in me now? What is God saying to me now? What is the Spirit of God showing me now? It's no good me living on past. I must live on the now. I must know what God has done now. What he's doing now. How to live now. I must put off everything else and be committed to Christ now. My commitment must be a, an immediate thing. Now what happened with Sarah, she said, I'm ten years barren, right. I'll get Hagar to produce. That seems logical. She's a young woman. She'll manage it. She went out of God's way. And what happened is you've got the Arabs produced from Hagar. And as I said before, you can see the Arabs have always fought everyone. They can't even agree amongst themselves. They are totally a race that should never have existed. But they do exist. And they've been a curse to the world. And they still are a curse with their black gold oil and their, you know, filthy ways. And you look at the Ayatollah Homini, um, evil, satanic man, uh, and all the Arabs, they just fight one another and murder one another, and they hate the children of God, the children of Israel. And they're anti the Christians in Lebanon, destroying them. They want to just eradicate them completely. Thank God that there's a way that God's Spirit's going to be raised up. In that day, he's going to wipe out his enemies. Amen. And those people are divided. This race came into being because a man wouldn't believe God. Now, what I want to be careful of and what you need to be careful of is that we don't try and produce the life or the ways of God or the Spirit of God or the way we should go in God by the flesh. Don't let us find a convenient method that seems easy to produce what we believe God wants. What we've got to do is we've got to cry out and ask God's Spirit to do it. If you want a husband, don't you go looking for a fellow. Cry out to God and say, Lord, I need one. He'll send one. If you need a wife, if you want children, if you need anything in your life, the person to go to is God. Don't use your own resources. If you do, you'll be destroyed by it. If you just um, flick over into Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 22. Paul, when he writes about this, um, okay, let's take uh, uh, verse 21. Tell me, you that desire to be under law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was born after the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which tendereth to bondage, which is Agar. 
For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, an answer to Jerusalem which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou that bear, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath her husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. What's going to happen to the bondwoman and her son? They're going to be cast out. God is going to cast out religion. Make no mistake about it. Religion and law and ritual are going to be cast out by God. And everything that it produces and the children of it are going to be cast out by God. What's the difference between the two? One's of the Spirit, isn't it? One doesn't go by ritual, doesn't go by teaching, but goes by the Spirit of God coming and meeting a person. The other goes by law, legalism. I want the reality. Don't you have God's Spirit? Hmm? I want to be taught by His Spirit. I want to live by His Spirit. I want to walk in His Spirit. And I want the thing that I have to be a living reality. Amen? I don't want religion. I hate it. May God give us wisdom to see in our lives when we begin to allow the flesh or Hagar to rise up and we, the things in our life are begotten of the false seed. We need the true seed. Many people think they're moving under the true, getting God's promise fulfilled in their life. In actual fact, what they've followed is Hagar. They've gone the flesh way instead of the spirit way. And it's destructive. And in the end, that seed's going to be cast out. There'll be the people in that day that are going to say, Lord, we did this in your name, we did that in your name, we did the other in your name. He'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, knowledge that is intimate love is not for the bondwoman. It's for the wife, the true bride. And the seed of promise comes via the wife, not the bondwoman. And that is the way it's going to be. So, we need to beware that we don't go according to the flesh, but we move according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is a way to walk in the Spirit. Thank you, O oh God, that what is important is what we are now. Not what we were yesterday. Not what we'll be next week. But what's happening now. Lord Jesus, Lord, in your love and in your grace, would you come and touch all our hearts? We don't want to produce the false seed, the thing of the flesh. 
we want the thing of the Spirit to work in our lives. Lord, we want to be stirred up inside. We want your presence. We want your light. We want your glory. Lord Jesus, we want you. We want your grace, your love. Lord, we thank you that you have entrusted us with a future generation. Give us the wisdom to know how to move in these days. Lord, in your love and in your grace and mercy, give us revelation of what we should do. Give us knowledge from your spirit, Lord. We don't want to do anything that's of the flesh or born of the flesh. We want to be led by your spirit. Lord, we want to learn how to move on and what is your real desire. Show us, O oh God. Lord, give us a mighty outpouring of wisdom. Thou hast said that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives liberally. And Lord, we will come to thee with that request that thou will give us the wisdom to live our lives for you and to move according to your spirit. Teach us, Lord, and help us, we pray. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. The other thing is we've been asked to pray for a boy who's um, seriously ill in hospital. You might know Angela Johnson, who... Um, uh, was involved in a car accident uh, Thursday night and the boy driving the car it was I think one o'clock in the morning or something they hit an oak tree and um, they went sideways into it and uh, the boy is very critically ill with brain damage in hospital and uh, Angela's got glass all in her face, broken her nose and on her chest, in her chest, I understand. Um, it's a salutary warning. When you move out of God's covering, you also move out of God's protection. And if you move that way, it's not the sensible person to be with in a car. I feel that um, we've been asked to pray for the boy. We'll ask and pray that God in his mercy and love will do his will. And if it's his will before that boy passes from this life to meet him, then let's pray that God will save his soul. For you know it's more important that a soul is saved than a person does anything else and that it might be instrumental in bringing people to true repentance for all things that happen in life uh, happen to bring people up with a start to realize life's but vapor you can't control your life you might not live tomorrow but you're going to have to face God of that there's no mistake everyone has to face God and judgment now you can face him having had your sin dealt with or you can face him 
and learn that you have a Christless eternity to face alone because you refuse to respond. And that is the choice. Every man has it every moment. Choose you whom you'll serve, God or man. If you choose to serve man, judgment comes. And it's usually pretty swift. But God gives opportunity for repentance and turning. If you don't avail yourself of it, you have only yourself to blame. So we're going to stand and we'll pray. I cannot remember his name. Uh, Simon. Father, Father, thou knowest all things. And in thine infinite wisdom we believe that thou art the one who controllest all things. Nothing can happen in this earth or in heaven. In the skies above or the earth beneath. But that which is permitted by thee to happen. Lord, thou can prevent things. Or thou can permit things. Thou knowest this boy Simon, O oh God. As he lies critically ill. God, we don't know what thou desirest. We don't understand all thy purposes. But this we know, that thou art gracious and loving. Thou wouldst forgive and draw all men unto thyself. Thou dost not deal harshly with people, but in righteousness. Lord, we pray for this boy. We lift him up to thee, O God, as a great father of love and tender mercies. Lord, thou knowest what has gone on within his soul. Thou knowest what's gone on in his heart and his mind. O oh God, we pray that by the Holy Ghost you'll reveal yourself to him. You'll turn him from his headlong rush to destruction. Turn his heart around, O oh God. Lord, in your grace and your love, let salvation be his lot. Don't let him go to a Christless eternity. Lord, a young life so wasted, so futile. Oh God, in your mercy and your love, reach out to him, we pray. And for Angela, oh God, make it a turning point in her life. Your grace is sufficient, oh God, to cover all things make it a point where she's brought up short and she realizes her need of you and the folly of walking away from your ways God have mercy on her Lord move by your spirit in her life Lord don't let her be as one lost and cast out we pray Thou canst restore, O oh God. Lord, let Simon, Lord, let him be dealt with according to your will. Let your grace stretch to him, O oh God. 
let your love reach him, we pray. We lift him up to thee. In Jesus' name.